COVID patients overwhelmed American hospitals. The world's most advanced and expensive healthcare system crumbled, short of supplies and personnel. The U.S. lost more patients than any other nation during the pandemic. Today, I have a special guest joining me, Dr. David B. Nash. He is the co-author of a book, How COVID Crashed the System. Hi, Dr. Nash. After that build-up, we have our goofy song. Yes. Wow. Great to be here, Brian. Thanks again for the invitation, and wonderful to see you as well. It really is great to see you. So, of course, like everybody else, on uh, Friday, March 13th, 2020, uh, I was in my office at uh, Jefferson, and I was told, okay, we're closing, we're closing up. I told my long-serving executive assistant, take home enough stuff for two weeks, I'll see you soon. And uh, I, I was totally unprepared, totally shocked. I thought we would have a SARS, MERS, uh, uh, you know, situation that we would clobber this thing. America is amazing. American medicine is amazing. And boy, was I wrong. And fortunately, prior to the pandemic in November of 2019, I uh, befriended a wonderful writer, science writer, Charles Wolforth at a meeting in New York City. We exchanged cards. We sort of hit it off. And uh, by May, June of 20, uh, Charles was reaching out to me and saying, we, we, we have to write a book about what's going on. We, you, your voice is important and I'll help you. <laughs> and I thought, uh, uh, well, okay, uh, if he's willing to help and I, I'm going to use my most formidable weapon, which is right here. I thought I'm too old to be at the bedside like my hospitalist daughter. I, I really can't help by being in the hospital. So I'll channel my anxiety and energy into this book. And, and Brian, that's exactly what happened. 18 months of work. And our system was an every other week, 90 minute Zoom call. And Charles is a magician because he took our conversations, recorded the video, and turned that into very readable prose. And so my job was, what are the topics? What are the references? How do we even organize our attack on this? And the central idea about an airline crash. And his role, which was formidable, was to take our conversation and distill it and put it into prose and keep us on track and create a chapter structure. And that was all uh, before we found an agent and a publisher. Uh, so all in all, two years of work, almost to the day. I'm a general internist. I've, I've been in academic medicine my whole life. Uh, I'm on year 32 on the faculty at uh, Jefferson, which has been my home for you know all this time. Uh, prior to Jefferson, I did uh, medicine uh, at the Graduate Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, right on South Street. It was a rock and roll kind of a place with Penn medical students, Penn faculties, fantastic training. Uh, then I had really the transformative experience of being a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation clinical scholar at Penn. Uh, I went to Wharton on a full academic scholarship and uh, 
got an MBA in health administration, but uh, to our listeners, you know, today that's not big news, but this was 1984, a really long time ago, when there were only a handful of doctors, mostly from the Robert Wood Johnson program, because we uh, had access to all these resources, uh, a full academic ride to go into Wharton, who could say no to that? So I did medical school, traditional three-year medicine residency. The, I finished residency on a Friday and on Monday in uh, June 1984, I was in Wharton Summer School. I mean, it's incredible. So uh, two years full-time at Wharton, back then there was no executive program. I mean, that was a life-changing event, Brian, because it gave substance and vocabulary and critical thinking to what I had just witnessed, like you, uh, after three years of medicine residency, you know, at the graduate hospital, we were constantly admitting and turfing and readmitting the same patients. They had terrible, terrible social issues, a crime, a poverty, uh, all, you know, social disorganization, all of the terrible issues that come with in that era, especially. And of course, I couldn't explain anything of what was going on. And after Wharton, it all made much more sense. And then very quickly, I spent five years on the Penn Medicine faculty as a junior faculty member, got recruited to Jefferson and never looked back from January of 1990. And um, most importantly, my most recent role at Jefferson, the privilege of being the founding dean of the country's first school of population health. I did that job for more than a decade. Uh, I voluntarily stepped down. Uh, it was a lucky and prescient move in retrospect. I voluntarily stepped down in uh, June of 2019. I rejoined the faculty. I'm on an endowed chair in health policy. Uh, I'm fully funded. And so uh, I went from, you know, constant uh, Dean type work, and now I, it's just my wonderful assistant and me, and I get to work on whatever I care about, and try to stay out of the current dean's hair, and stay far away from the provost and the president, and and do my work. And this book is very much a product of that freedom that I never would have had as dean, and, and of course the unbelievable crazy opportunity, if you would, that the pandemic presented. So that's a long-winded answer, Brian, but it was a labor of love and commitment and a very powerful emotional story for me and for Charles, who was, uh, you know, an incredible partner. So look, our listeners and, you know, Brian, you, you have such an amazing following and decades of being the doctor voice on the radios is so fantastic. So what did we find? So the structure that we came up with was we're National Transportation Safety Board investigators. It's an NTSB investigation, Charles and me. We've got the black baseball hats on. We're literally digging through the crash site. You know, we're searching for the, the, the black box. But look, we knew what was in the black box all along, right? So, so poverty, uh, racism, lack of primary care doctors, a system designed to make a small number of people very wealthy, a system that's lost its way, has no true north, isn't in the business of improving health. What did you think would happen 
when we were facing a unprecedented global healthcare event, not to mention a crippled public health system where spending annually for healthcare, especially in a great city like ours, which is all about training the doctor of the future with five major academic medical centers. If you look at the national data, $10,000 per person annually on healthcare services in 2019, $400 on the public health infrastructure. So is anybody surprised that the public health infrastructure was, was totally crushed and may never even recover? There is no national public health strategy. And with all due respect to our Republican colleagues, there is no question. And just read the editorial in the New England Journal of Medicine right before the last presidential election, right? There is no question that President Trump failed to protect the nation despite the hard work of people at CDC, HHS, and elsewhere, the lack of coordination, lack of a consistent message, a failing test that was created and put into the marketplace, we could go on. But the main issue is the take-home message of the first half of our book is the bright light that the pandemic shined on all of the, in our analogy, all of the systematic failures of our system. And it's no wonder that the system crashed and doctors went out of business and doctors and nurses died and there wasn't enough PPE. We forget all this. It's scary how we forget. Um, I'm a student of the Second World War and there's uh, so much written about that conflict, of course, but one of the major historical take-home messages of the Second World War going back, if you look at when GIs returned in 1945, 46, and 47, by the time everybody was back from both theaters, when the dying stops, the forgetting begins. That's what we are facing now. 300 Americans die every day. COVID is the third leading cause of death in America. Heart disease, cancer, COVID. Unbelievable. It's dedicated to some pragmatic the changes. Uh, let, let me give you some concrete examples. Let, let's start at the bottom, something certainly you and I could resonate with, I'm pretty sure, which is we've got to change both undergraduate and graduate medical education and build the kind of doctor now who we want for the future. She, she has to have a skill set different than the one you and I were taught. For example, expertise in statistics and epidemiology in healthcare quality and safety, in health economics, we, we've got to find a way to get those core pieces of the curriculum into the curriculum in a mandatory fashion. Uh, medical education in this country has got what I call the barge theory. Namely, there's this barge in the river, and if you want to put something else on the barge, you better take something off it because it's going to sink. So you know, blow up the barge and start over. So one aspect of part two of the book is a new Flexner report to change medical education. That's huge. Another aspect is change the economic incentives. Look, we know that when you change how doctors are paid, it actually changes clinical decision-making. There is no question. There's 30 years of research to support this going back, you know, decades. So, 
pragmatic suggestion too is pay for health. That's not a new concept. That's what managed care was supposed to do. And I would argue some managed care plans are doing exactly that right now, both for profit and not for profit. So number one, change medical education. Number two, incentivize doctors to create health. Number three, the biggest, very tough issue, tackle that third rail, if you would, of the social determinants of health. Incentivize the leaders of great places like Jefferson and Penn and Temple and Cooper uh, and Virtua, incentivize those leaders to explicitly tackle poverty, homelessness, crime. Uh, I, I'm a great fan of heroic physicians and heroic hospital leaders like Mike Dowling at Northwell in New York, who's a national leader and a spokesperson about gun violence. Uh, folks like Omar Latif, the physician CEO at Rush in Chicago, who goes into the community, is committed to hiring folks in the community first, building buildings in the community. I mean, we can do it. So another piece of this is tackle those very tough social determinants of health. So change education, change the economic incentives, tackle the social determinants. Oh, and of course, refund, I mean, amplify the funding for the public health sector. I mean, Brian, you and I know that some of our public health colleagues were, were literally attacked, were, were hunted online, were, were uh, left their jobs because of fear of their lives for themselves and their family members. You and I watched the medical director of Downingtown Hospital get shouted down at a public meeting because he wanted kids to go back to school wearing a mask. Remember that last September? So, you know, all the banging of the drums at seven o'clock at night two years ago, that turned into acrimony. It went from you guys and gals are heroes to you guys and gals are prolonging our misery and you're manufacturing data about the seriousness of COVID, you know, crazy, crazy stuff. So, you know, ultimately spread the science, not the virus. That's a great saying from our faculty at our college. I didn't make that up. Uh, so the second half of our book is all about, hey, we know why this plane crashed. Here's 10 reasons. Let's get busy fixing them. Let me conclude this point by sadly pointing out that I, I don't, actually see that happening, however. Ah, so starting the process, well, like everything else in our society, it's all about leadership. I mean, Omar Latif and Mike Dowling and Steve Clasco and Bruce Meyer and John Gleason and on the list goes doctors and non-doctor leaders who were out in front on these issues two and a half years ago. Uh, we, we need an army uh, of good followers for these leaders to accomplish this mission of spreading a different type of uh, ethos as to what is the business that we're in. L let me give it, let me give you the broader strokes here. You know, healthcare is America's biggest business. $4 trillion, 20% of the GDP. So what's the outcome? What's the output? 
of this investment? Well, it's dreadful. Sure, we have temples of technology that do things that are remarkable in breaking the human genome and in this town creating genetic therapy and in this town, you know, creating the RNA virus, you know, the RNA vectors. Amazing science. There is no doubt, and I'm not depreciating that in any way. While we have this amazing science, in parallel to all of this, we have a delivery system that is solely focused on delivering services, on doing procedures, and uh, the, the billing system is inside out and backwards because if you pay people to do piecework, you're going to get piecework. This doctor here and this nurse here and this pharmacist here, and they can't communicate and on and on. And anyone who's been a patient knows exactly, viscerally, what I'm talking about. So when we're not organized to improve health, we're organized to maximize billing, maximize revenue. Well, then every system is perfectly designed to achieve exactly the results it gets. Yeah, great question. Uh, well, I think they're going to get uh, two things. Uh, one is a pretty digestible tutorial on the complexities of American medicine. I mean, Charles and I, even in one chapter on insurance, we say, please uh, hang in there with us. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we strived to create something that was lucid and pragmatic and, and very digestible. And I think we did it. And I'm awfully proud of that whole section. So I think one thing readers will get is a pretty digestible overview in a very readable form of the nation's largest and most important, I would argue, industry. That's the first take home. And then the second take home from part two of the book are very pragmatic in our view suggestions about where to start. And I hope people will uh, read the book and participate in a conversation. Maybe there'll be a groundswell of support for some of the changes we've called for, like a, you know, second or third uh, exam of uh, medical education, like new incentives, explicit incentives to tackle the social determinants. Uh, I'll be happy if it stimulates conversation about how can we improve one of our most important resources for the future. Let me give you a personal take on this, and this is really it's even hard to talk about, uh, but it's from the heart. So uh, I, I'm, I'm lucky to have two grandchildren, <clears throat> and when they ask me, when they're older, what did you do when a million Americans died? What did you do, Grandpa, to fix it? I want to be able to say that I was part of the solution and not just an ongoing part of the problem. Great to see you too. Great to see you as well. See you as well. The Dr. Brian McDonough Show.